Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, I have uh, the dual pleasure today of speaking uh, with Drs. Uh, Jonas Bukholz and um, uh, Ute Huskin. Um, uh, Jonas is at uh, the, um, the Academy of Sciences and Humanities at Heidelberg and uh, Ute is at uh, Heidelberg University. We'll be speaking about a, a really, really fascinating uh, work that... Um, that fortunately is available open access. The link is in the podcast notes. Uh, it's a work called Temples, Texts, and Networks, um, South Indian Perspectives. Uh, welcome both to the podcast. Hello. Nice having you, that you're having us. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so, oh, you're welcome. And, and, and Jonas, it's nice to actually associate a name and a face and get to see you because, of course, you're contributing to the, um, the Sanskrit narrative volume. So I recognize... Um, some of your work as well. So that it's great to be able to talk. And, and of course, I've had the pleasure of collaborating on a research project uh, that resulted in the Nine Nights volume that, that had spearheaded as well. So so this volume as well is uh, the result of a, a network, a collaboration. So tell us a bit about um, what's going on behind the scenes uh, to create this volume. Yeah, maybe I can start. Um, basically, it is a volume that is one of the results of a, a DFG's German Research, Research Foundation funded project that Jonas and I had for the last three years. And uh, it was about uh, yeah, Mahatmyans in Kanshipur. And one of the activities that we did in the context of this project was a workshop in Pondicherry. Uh, which to which we uh, were fortunate enough to have the funds to invite a number of scholars, but then there were, were also a number of local scholars. And so basically the, the, the volume that uh, you see in front of you or that you can download for free um, is the result of this workshop. Uh, so a number of, uh, no, actually all of the contributions that are in the volume have been also presented during the workshop. The workshop was uh, actually also a bit experimental in the sense that we first sat in in the Pondicherry reading room for a number of days. We're reading together texts, which also reflects uh, in the fact that we have a lot of the texts that are being talked about in the article are also in the articles are also printed in the volume. This is one of the beauties of open access that you can basically put in as much material as you, as you want. And also, um, yeah, so, so we were reading texts together that related to uh, the temples that we were talking about. And then we had a common um, excursion to Kanchipuram and visited a number of the texts that we, uh, a number of the temples that we had read about in the text, um, visited them, had a look at them. And here, especially Emma Stein was really 
wonderful because she also introduced us into her work on Kanjipuram, which um, she also talks about in one of, in one of the articles the, of the book. Yeah, we've also had a had her on the podcast uh, to cover her her fascinating work um, on this uh, super important uh, site in South Asia. Um, do one of you want to say a word about uh, the Mahatmya genre in this context? Yeah, um, I mean the Mahatmya genre that we've been working with very very intensely in in. The course of our project in the last three years, and um, and I think this volume. I mean, we have a the, most of the contributions in the volume actually actually are based on Mahatmya sources. So um, yeah, so um, yeah, these are these are texts that are actually very interesting for the for the kind of questions that that we are trying to to answer here. And um, well, Mahatmyas is. I mean, it's, there's there's always the problem with with terminology because we are using these these Sanskrit terms that that um, maybe don't don't tell us so much about what these texts are about. Um, but we are we are also using this term temple legends to describe these texts just in in layman's terms, let's say, because that's that's what they are actually. I mean, they are texts about temples or let's say about sacred places um, that explain the origins of these places through mythological narratives, right? So they ask the questions like why is this temple here or why is this um, why is there this particular form of the deity in this temple. And they answer these questions by, by telling us stories about the deeds of gods or, or other mythological beings um, who are said, yeah, that are said to have happened at, at this very spot. Um, Jonas, since you're currently um, speaking, would you like to tell us a little bit about your contribution? It's pretty close to the beginning. I believe it was the first substantive contribution and perhaps some of the others that you'd like to talk about. Yeah, right. I mean, um, so in my contribution, I'm looking at the the Stala Mahatmyas and Talapuranams of Kanji. So okay, at these these texts that we just um, talked about, and I'm looking at one specific place that is Kanjipuram, which um, which is the place that our project is focused on, and in fact, quite a lot of the contributions that we have in the volume also also deal with Kanjipuram or Kanji for short. Um, so in a way, it's a very modest contribution because it's just about giving an overview of what what texts there are. Um, but there is actually a, quite a lot of texts on on kanji. Um, I'm discussing well, there are at least eight texts that we know of so far um, in Sanskrit and in Tamil. So okay, that is that is one that's also an important aspect of of this genre is that it's multilingual, right? We have we have Mahatmyas composed in Sanskrit all over India, but we also have them composed in in various regional languages in in different parts of India and for Kanchipuram, which is in Tamil Nadu, the Tamil speaking part in South India, we obviously have texts composed in in Tamil. Um, Yes, and um, 
what is also so that's one reason why we actually have quite a lot of texts on on this one place and another reason is that we have texts um, representing different religious traditions so kanji program is actually a place with pretty yeah pretty diverse uh with in terms of of its religious traditions because because yeah three major traditions of hinduism are all very strongly present in in Kanji program, right? So Shaivism, Vaishnavism, and Shaktism all are strongly, strongly rooted there. And actually all of these traditions have produced their own texts. So it's quite interesting to be able to, to compare how compare the texts belonging to different religious traditions because they very often they deal with the same same narratives, but tell them tell them from different perspectives and, and have different put emphasis on different things yeah it's quite fascinating the the, the texture uh of these texts and that they exist in in in, in tamil the sanskrit texts uh, it's, it's really a fascinating phenomenon um do we want to talk about some of the other contributions as well yeah maybe i can briefly um talk about the second contribution in the volume so that is an article by keinachi mutu on um it's called the survey of the stella programmer literature in tamil okay so maybe if we talk about we, we talked about the terminology before so we okay we sometimes we talk of mahatmyas but there is but sometimes we also talk of stella programmers so this that is also a term that is that is commonly used to um describe these well these temple legends these these texts about hindu sacred places and in fact, in the Tamil tradition, um, they, these texts are called Tadapuranam, which is the Tamilized form of the Sanskrit term Tadapurana. Right. And um, yes, and Professor Nachimuntu's article gives an overview of the Tamil Tadapurana genre. Um, and it's, it's um, quite an impressive overview of, of what, is, what is actually a um, Major genre because we have we have uh, lots and lots of these texts in in Tamil, and yeah, that's why we have the good fortune that uh, that we have this this um, article by Kenachi Mutu, which is actually an um, so yeah, so Professor Kenachi Mutu has been working on this genre for a very long time. He's one of yeah, he's a senior Tamilist, one of one of the foremost figures of Tamil studies in India. Um, and this article is actually a completely revised version of an article that he originally published in 1985, I think. So you can see that he's been dealing with with this genre for a very long time, longer than I've been alive, actually. Um, yeah, so but he has a very, very broad overview of of this part of Tamil literature and shares it with us in his article. Did you want to talk about the first part of the book, Yims? Yes, then if we continue with the contributions in the volume, we have an article by Tiganesan, who is uh, based in the IFP in Pondicherry which is titled Innovations and Reformulations and Translations, Some Stalapuranas in Tamil. Um, and this article looks at the relationship between 
the Stalapuranas and Mahatmyas in Sanskrit and Tamil, which is also a very fascinating field and one which there hasn't been that much work on it because, um, yeah, because, I mean, there is there is general agreement that, that the Sanskrit and Tamil texts are related, um, but very few people have actually closely looked at examples of Sanskrit Mahatmyas and Tamatarapuganams in, in conjunction. And Tiganesan is actually uh, looking at three examples on, on texts on three specific places in South India. So Tiruvannamalai, Kalahasti, um, and Chidambaram, and comparing the Sanskrit and, and Tamil texts. Um, yeah, and I think that's um, that's a quite fruitful approach because you can really see how how these texts are related to each other, but also how they have different priorities. So do we see, I was going to ask this um, after we'd gone over the papers in particular, but this might be a good time. Um, so then uh, in this genre, do we see a lot of overlap with Sanskritic material um, and Tamil sources, or is it is it rare? Is it common? Tell us a little bit about that uh, phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, okay, I guess one has to be careful of, of overgeneralizing things, but I mean, I'm mostly familiar with the material that... You're, that you're, you're allowed on podcasts, so it's okay. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, okay, so generally speaking, the, the um, Tamil texts very often or almost always claim to be based on a Sanskrit source. Okay, so the Tamil authors will tell you I, I will compose this Puranam based on the Sanskrit text that is told in the so-and-so Puranam. And there has actually been quite a lot of debate about this. I mean it is also a kind of kind of controversial issue because this this whole issue of the relationship of Sanskrit and Tamil is very politicized. In, in Tamil Nadu among Tamil people. Um, and many people have been willing to take these claims of a Sanskrit source as a, you know, just as a convention. Um, because, you know, because Sanskrit had, had this prestige, Tamil, Tamil authors felt that they had to name a, name a Sanskrit source, even, even if there maybe wasn't one. Um, but in fact, there are also Tamil Stalapuranas that that are demonstrably based on Sanskrit texts. And I have mostly been working on the um, texts on Kanchipuram. And in fact, in the in the text that we have there, we can very clearly see that that the Tamil text, we have a we have a major Tamil text which is called Kanchipuranam, which is considered one of the one of the major examples of the Tamil Stalapurana genre. Um, and we can show that it is based on a Sanskrit text, which we fortunately also have, a Sanskrit text called Kanchi Mahatmya. And we can really read the texts um, side by side and, and see that they are very closely related. But it's, it's actually very it's fascinating to, to look at these texts side by side because you can, you can really see how the Tamil author has, has transformed the Sanskrit text into a Tamil text, or so you can, yeah, you can. It's, it almost feels like you can follow the poet or the, the author in his work of, of, um, yeah, of recreating the Sanskrit text in Tamil. Yeah, it really is a fascinating phenomenon. Um, 
currently in uh, collaboration with a scholar named uh, Noor Van Russell, who studies uh, um, uh, Badrakali Mahatmya, sort of a regional Kerala uh, Mahatmya. And uh, uh, one of the things we're looking at is parallels between the the, the more pan-Indic Devi Mahatmya. And so it's, it really is a really, you know, it's, it's fascinating whether there are, whether there are conscious reworkings of materials or whether it's a nod to other product materials or whether it's happenstance or, you, you, you know, this, 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 it seems that the regional text, at least in this case, is making nods to demonstrate that it's aware of the product corpus, it's aware of Markandeya, it's aware of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it really is a fascinating phenomenon. So thank you. And yes, um, 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 overgeneralization is certainly permitted and, and encouraged on podcasts. So thank you. Uh, what's, the, <laughs> what's the next contribution about? Okay, the next contribution is by Essa Sharman, um, and he's talking about the Padmanatha Swami in Tiruvananda Puram. So Tiruvananda Puram, Trivandrum is the, the capital of Kerala, and the Padmanatha Swami temple is the, well, it's a major Vishnu temple in Tiruvananda Puram, right, which, which became kind of famous, and S.S. Sharma also mentions that in his introduction there was in 2011, they discovered this huge treasure in the temple, right, so that was that was in the news worldwide um, because yeah because it turned out that that there were yeah really extremely valuable treasures in the in the vaults of this temple but apart from this treasure it's also also otherwise a very important and and fascinating temple um, and as a Sharma gives us an overview of the myths of origin of this temple as they are presented in in various Mahatmya sources. So his paper is also based on, on Mahatmya sources. But what is particularly interesting about his contribution, I think, is that he um, shows a lot of, um, he shows how these textual sources are related to to actual present-day practices in the temple. So he gives examples of, of certain rituals that, that reflect things that we also find in, um, in the texts. Um, yeah, so there's an example of, um, okay, in the, in the story as it's told in the texts, uh, there's a sage who, who establishes the, the temple and wants to worship Vishnu, and then he doesn't know what he can offer to the god, right? But but he only happens to have a, a unripe mango and a coconut, and then he offers offers those to Vishnu. And in fact, what we find now in the temple ritual is that it's exactly that that the deity is offered an um, unripe mango and in a in a golden coconut shell. So there is this question of how, uh, yeah, how. How are the actual ritual practice and and textual sources are they related? Um, do people do these rituals because they are mentioned in the texts, or do the texts mention them because that is that is what um, people do in the temple? So that's a very uh, I think yeah I think that's a very interesting aspect of these of these madmias that that they are related to ritual practices that that are actually lived in the temples. 
Yes, and um, as uh, Shama's article does a very good job in in um, relating that the the text and the ritual practices and that that are practiced in Kripanram and the Padmanatha Swami Temple. And so there's one more paper in the first half that you'll be telling us about, which is. Um, well, let me just take take <laughs> take over from here. Sure. Um, the the point is that this is also a good kind of uh, transition in the volume itself because the remainder of the contributions are con are concerned either with the connection of uh, contemporary practices or material culture or the geographical actual or two days geographical layout of land with the text and with um, uh, legends told in the text. So the next contribution then is by Marjena Czernyet-Droshtevich and R. Satyanarayanan. Um, they, um, that's uh, two scholars who also recently have uh, published an edition of uh, the, the Mahatmya of the temple town Sri Rangam, namely the Dajadyayi. And um, their contribution is, in fact, about Sri Rangam, but there in, in the contributions entitled Importance of Water Bodies in the Mahatmyas in the Kaveri region. So they're talking about uh, the water bodies, both in terms of the river, the Kaveri itself, which is a very important topic in all the Mahatmyas that, are, that came up in, in this region, but also on the Nava theater. So there's nine theaters uh, around the Shri Rangam Vishnu temple. So Ranganathas temple. And they're talking about these and also in general about the importance of water um, and the river for this area. I mean, the Kaveri is an important river with its own Mahatma and many Sanskrit sources referring to it. So they're looking into this connection of theater, water, uh, river, and Mahatmyas. Then the next contribution is by me. Um, I am writing about, uh, the title is Two Lizards in Kanchipuram's Varadaraja Temple. And what I'm uh, basically looking at in this contribution is um, how are the, these two lizards represented in the different texts? So I'm looking at Kamakshi Vilasa, the Vaishnava Kanchi Mahatmyam, and the Tamil text, which is called Pankapali Mahatmyam. And then I look into how, what kind of role do these lizards play in contemporary ritual practice? And basically, these are two uh, reliefs of lizards that uh, that are at the temple ceiling, and they are very closely connected to this uh, to the rituals connected to palipatana. So the idea that if a lizard falls on a specific part of your body, that this means something. In most cases, it means something negative, and uh, so people actually come to the Varadarata temple in order to get rid of these doshas. And uh, they do so by touching the lizards. And uh, so for many, for many pilgrims, actually, the lizards are the main reason why they go to this temple. So Vishnu as Varadaraja in this temple is of, in this context, not really of, of major importance. So I'm looking at how these lizards are, or, and uh, the reason why these lizards are in the temple, how this is represented in the text. 
how uh, the, let's say, later text, uh, the um, Tankapali Mahatmyam in Tamil, which is from 1937, I think, uh, how this is kind of a mixture between different aspects of the text and how this relates to contemporary practice. The next contribution then is by Malini Ambach. Malini is a PhD student here at uh, Heidelberg University, and she's also working on Kanji Mahatmyams. And in this contribution, which is entitled Reading a Sacred Place Differently, Sarvatieta in Kanji Puram Sanskrit Mahatmyas, she looks at this huge temple tank, which is uh, at the northwestern end of Kanji Puram, and looks at the representation of this tank in the different Sanskrit texts. So the, she used three Sanskrit texts as the basis for her considerations and uh, explains how this temple tank is embedded differently in the different sectarian versions, basically, of this place. Um, then there's a um, contribution by Eva Dibinska-Borek, and um, she, her contribution is entitled Connected Places, Networks of Shrines, Arubilam in Nets of Spatial Relationships. So she uh, offers an outline of patterns of spatial relationships, and she does so by tracing different modes of constructing a meaningful space, and her example is Ahobilam. So she's talking about, um, which is a kind of remote area, remote in terms of accessibility, remote area in Andhra Pradesh, where uh, there are nine or now 10 Narasimha shrines, um, and so she looks at these diff this place in terms of how is it connected? One, uh, how are the uh, temples among themselves connected? So she looks at the hunting festival where uh, where one of the Narasinghas is take is going in procession to different sites. Then she looks at Ahobila as part of the 108 Divyadeshams. She looks at a connection between three Narasingha places, which are Kanchi, Ahobilam, and Sholingur, and but also looks at uh, bigger networks along the Nalamala mountain range, and um, also at relationships between um, Ahobilam and Sri Shailam, which is uh, which are expressed not only in the in the Ahobilam Mahatmya but also in the Sri Shailam Mahatmya. And then there's a contribution by Crispin Branford um, entitled Building Networks, Architecture, Ornament and Place in Early Modern South India. And Crispin looks at, yeah, he, I mean, in general, he's pointing at the importance of material culture. And he looks at temples and the different modes, how they are replicated in different sites how they refer to each other, but also to other spheres like Vaikuntha more. So, and his argument and what he's showing in this contribution is that temple uh, and shrine, temples and shrines can be replicated in architectural ornament or in murals where networks of temples are referred to, for example, in Sri Vaikuntam. He refers to patrons and artists as, um, well, let's say agents that create connections between different uh, temples 
And of course, the ritual of pilgrimage, which is when pilgrims go from one place to another. There's a, again, there's a connection. And he, what he's showing is basically that uh, the creation of links and I'm, I'm quoting him here, the creation of links and connections between temples and their construction and visualization in design and ornament was only a gradual process from the 14th to 15th century. So his argument, and I think this is to be taken very seriously, is that we also have to look at the time frame in which such uh, strong networks were created and are now perpetuated. And then the final contribution in the volume is by Emma Natalia Stein. We talked about her already, her, about her work on Kanchi Puram earlier. Her contribution is grounding the text Kanchi's or urban logic and ambitious extensions. And so she talks about ancient processes of organization that she detects in Kanchi's structure. She, she talks about the role of temple building and expanding a temple expanding um, in, the, in the process of urbanization. And she describes different styles of building that can be traced in Kanchi even today. She traces the likely place of the royal palace, which doesn't ex exist today anymore, which is near the Kamakshi temple, and argues, uh, which is also an important argue, uh, argument in her um, mon monograph, that the temple, the orientation of the temples, which is um, unusual, um, it is towards the main road running north-south. And in the end, she also uh, takes one uh, smaller temple, namely the Tirukhanishvara temple as an example, and uh, analyzes its structure, iconography, and history. So that's a whole range of contribution to this Temple Text and Network volume, which uh, I think shows in a very nice way um, what we can gain from investigating a specific place through its text, but also in conjunction with, uh, with, it, uh, with its material culture. Yeah, there's so much that's fascinating about the volume as a whole, no doubt. You've fascinating individual contributions. One thing that came to mind as you talked about the backstory was um, in this sort of pseudo post-COVID world that we're 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 we're, we're fumbling about through um, is the the irreplaceable value of getting together in a room with a bunch of people and reading or speaking or there's so much about the online world that that that's here to stay and and that's beneficial for a variety of reasons you know i can zoom into a class across the continent and give a guest lecture for example but but really it's not replaceable is it to the, the just getting together with folks and and, and um, collaborating in this fashion, and clearly this this work is a direct result of that process. Um, one thing that you you've certainly touched on uh, in all the contributions, but maybe we should um, flesh out for the audience is this importance of networks, and what you mean by network, and that being such a crucial um, contribution of this work as a whole. Could you say a bit a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, in general, most I mean, most of the contributions look at temples, at looks look at the text not as um, well text about kind of monuments, but about um, 
about yeah, nodal points in networks of connections. And these connections can be textual or intertextual. These connections can be by, by people walking from one place to another. These connections can also be through the ideas that are carried by people or that kind of circum, um, yeah, overarch the, the different temples. And that's exactly what basically all of the contributions are pointing to to say, yes, on the one hand, we have to do this in-depth research. And, uh, but on the other hand, we need to raise our head and look at other places as well, and, as well, and look at how they, these places are connected, be it through people, through actions, through text, or whatever it might be. Fascinating and so important. And, and as you mentioned, sometimes we're very good at staring at a particular crevice and 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 mastering all knowledge about a little crevice and then yeah. but to understand you know to sort of continually toggle between the the sort of laser focus and then then the the more global view i think it's it's a crucial particularly in the south asian context where there's so much synergy with with uh, yeah, you know between sanskritic and 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 non-sanskritic traditions between um uh, practice and text etc cetera, etc cetera. now uh, having um uh, having co-edited these volumes what um uh, was there anything about this enterprise or this collection that ended up surprising you? Were there sort of suspicions that were confirmed? Were there um, insights that were sort of uh, new to you? You know, could you talk a bit about what what that process was like for you, or, or perhaps what what struck you, or you learned, or crystallized through this process? Well, I I can definitely say that uh, one important aspect. And that also touches upon what you mentioned right now, this being together in one place. But one important aspect for me was definitely when we were visiting as a group the different sites. And when we could be together in the specific temples, look at specific, let's say, inscriptions or constructions or lingams or whatever there was and talk about it and discuss it while we were there. I felt that this was, I mean, I always feel that the, the work, um, let's say the com combination of work with text and the combination with sites, people, and whatever there might be, that is mutually enriching. And in this case, being, being in this group of learned scholars who all had their, their different contribution to what we were looking at, that was really very enriching. I found that great. Yeah. Yes, and we were very lucky actually because this workshop and the excursion that that resulted in this volume eventually that was in January 2020, so that was just just before COVID hit in, and of course we had no way of knowing at the time, but that was that was really the kind of the last chance to to well first of all to be together in one room with with all these scholars who contributed to this volume, but also to do this excursion to Kanchi and visit the sites that that we read about. Uh, yeah, visit the actual sites. Um, that is something that then was just wasn't possible for a very long time. And now slowly we are getting there. But yeah, but in this respect, our timing with with the workshop was quite fortunate. 
with our question because then not only do you have the, the fortune of having gotten together just at the you know the, the the you know the twilight of the old world where we could get together but then you have um you've got this time where you it's you and your data and your computer and um you may be able to go to the cafe or not depending on where you live and so then you had this opportune moment to i was talking to a, a, i believe simon broadbeck who's just uh, published a monograph on um um, 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 yugas uh, and the avatar in the Mahabharata, and uh, he, he was saying that's the, that that's why this came out well so relatively quickly because of COVID. <laughs> so the dual the dual benefit, rather than have COVID delay your your field work, uh, you had it sort of perhaps support um, the, 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 the the making sense of the field work. Um, so anything else about the volume that you wanted to touch on? You know anything at all that comes to mind? Well, I definitely would like to emphasize this is open access and can be downloaded from wherever you are as long as you have a, an internet connection. And I I must say that, I mean, since it came out, it's only maybe two weeks ago, I've gotten so much feedback already on the volume. And I do think that the accessibility and the free accessibility is really wonderful. It was also... I mean, usually when you publish a book, it's also it's always very expensive if you want to include images. And we could include many images, also color images, which I think also enriches the understanding of what we're talking about. And that is something that I really appreciate. So it's published with Heidelberg Asian Studies Publishing and um, whoever wants to publish South Asian studies related um, books there should contact them. It's um, they're happy to publish. I think that's such an important, important point that we can have access instantly. Um, I tease that I can't afford my own Rutledge volumes (laughs) 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 and my students, not so much, Um, um, but in, these barriers can be problematic for a variety of reasons to a variety of people, whether because of their studentship, because of their geographical location, because of the, the currency in which they earn globally. And so it's no small boon to have this instantly available. And without question, it, it translates to greater impact. It just yeah. translates to so many more people coming across it. I was I was um, happy that I suckered in Makamas Taylor to co-edit this Sanskrit volume <laughs> because um, he's got ties. Uh, he's 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 a he's a prophet at Australian National University, and they also have this this vibrant open access uh, press. And without question, when this comes out, which hopefully will be in a, in in a, in a few months, certainly in twenty twenty three, um, it'll just have so much more impact. So. So do do have a look at the link in the podcast notes and um, do consider publishing with this fine press. Um, fantastic. So um, I think we will close for close for today. And so thank you very much for appearing on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks a lot. My pleasure. Uh, for those of you listening, we've been talking, of course, about a really, really fascinating uh, collection of papers. Uh, um, um, the, the volume's called Temples, Texts, and Networks, South Indian Perspectives. Uh, the link's in the podcast notes. Until next time, um, keep well, um, keep listening, and keep contemplating the connections across practice, text, and beyond. Take care.